Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. If you have a Bible app on your uh, on your mobile phone, please took one, turn with me to the book of Revelation. We're actually going to be in, in chapter number 20. And... Uh, I just want to welcome you all back to uh, the final part of our series titled Go. And, and as we've been talking about, the whole point of this series um, of Go is to examine in great detail what the Great Commission is about and, and what Jesus uh, said to the disciples when he said, uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded of you. And, and the whole point of doing this series is kind of giving you all a jumping off place so you can get involved in the work of the Great Commission because as we have become absolutely clear about the very first week is that we are all every one of us called to get involved in the Great Commission. Every one of us is to be a part of that. We are all called to get busy saving souls and making disciples. And and the Great Commission isn't just about these really big ideas of of going to some evangelistic rally or, or like the Harvest crusade. And it's not just about, you know, standing on a street corner and and street preaching and and street witnessing. And it's not just about becoming a missionary and heading off to some foreign country. Okay. Uh, The Great Commission isn't just about these things, even though they're important, relevant ways to spread the gospel. In fact, let me just be clear about this. Street witnessing and missionary work and, and big evangelistic events are, those are all really good things. And they're important ways to share the gospel with people. Okay. And people should do them. All right? People should do them. In fact, you should do them too if that was what God is calling you to do individually. But these things by themselves are not the Great Commission. I mean, they're certainly part of the Great Commission, but they are not the sum total of what the Great Commission is all about because the truth is this. These things, these big things, street pre- preaching, you know, missionary work, and big outreach events, these things are so big and they're so specialized that only a few people will ever get involved in those things. Okay, And as long as we think that evangelism and the Great Commission is, is about these things. If we think in terms of these things, then we just won't get involved because they're just too big. They're just too big, and it doesn't matter what anybody says. And the truth is that we are all called to get involved in evangelism. We're all called to be a part of the Great Commission. But the Great Commission isn't just about pastors and evangelists and missionaries and Sunday school teachers. Okay? It's not just about street preachers. The Great Commission is all about all of us. All believers. It's about me. It's about you and you and you. Okay. It's 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 not just about going somewhere to do this. It's about making disciples. The whole emphasis of this text isn't so much the word go, as in go and street witness and do those. You know, go, go become a missionary somewhere. The emphasis of this text is making disciples, making Christ followers, and making disciples is an intimate, up close, person to person relationship kind of thing. Making disciples is not about big crowds. Making disciples is about someone teaching someone else and investing in them and teaching them how to follow Jesus. It's up close and it's personal. That's why we all need to be involved. That's why everyone needs to be involved. We need to be involved in the work of the Great Commission and that is why we set out in this series to get everybody involved in this and we begin, as we did, we begin to talk about how we can do this and get started together. And then in the second week, we, we looked at who we needed to be as disciples um, in, in, in order to share the gospel. 
We needed to figure out who we are as disciples. And what we learned is from a story uh, uh, in the book of Acts is that if we're going to be effective sharing the gospel with other people uh, and, and, doing, and sharing the Great Commission, then what we need to do is we need to be people that are sold out for Christ. We need to be people that, uh, that, that, that hold the interests of other people above our own. We need to esteem other people more than we esteem ourselves. And then we need to be people who are ready to make disciples wherever we go. In fact, this story that we talked about was where Paul and Silas were in jail and they made a disciple of the jailer uh, and his whole family while they were in jail. We need to be ready to, to, to share the gospel wherever we go. And then week three we talked about how Jesus tells us to share the gospel with all of creation or every creature which means we're to share the gospel with everyone. Okay? Everyone. And what we've come to understand is that you don't have to go to exotic locations and you don't have to travel to faraway communities unless that's what God's calling you to do to share the gospel because there are those people around you in your life right now. There are people in your life right this second who are lost. We are surrounded by people to, uh, to share the gospel with already. And, and there are people in your lives that you know that need to hear the gospel. We, we, we just haven't, you know, we just haven't shared it with them because we're either afraid to do so or we just don't know how to do so or, you know, we just haven't made a plan to do so. And so then what we did is we set it out to eliminate those by taking action. And the first thing that we did was we began to build a plan to start reaching people around us. And we made it really simple, okay? Because what you had to do is just make a list. Make a list of 10 people in your life. 10 people in your life who don't know Jesus. Write them down. Put them on a list. Put it somewhere where you can see it. And then start praying for them. Pray for them every day that God would open their hearts. Pray for them for, for, for God to open your heart. Pray for, that God would create opportunities so you could talk to them. And then... What we needed to do from there is just prepare. We need to start preparing to talk to them and prepare to share the gospel with them. You know, which is like the how. I mean, how do we do that? And in fact, that's what we did in week four. We talked about that, the, the, exactly that, the how. We got down to the nitty gritty of how. How do you do this? How do you actually share Jesus with someone when you have an opportunity to do it? And we talked about there are several ways to explain the gospel but I shared with you one simple, repeatable uh, way to clearly and effectively share the gospel with other people. And, and it's a method that's essentially you know, a roadmap of scriptures that will help you to, to walk somebody step by step down the path towards faith in Christ. And it begins really just helping them to understand where they are, that they're a sinner. And because they're a sinner, there's consequences to that. And guess what? They can't fix it on their own because the stain of their sin covers their whole life so they're hopeless. But God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them. And because of that, now they have a choice. They can either believe and be saved or not believe and stand condemned. And if they choose to believe, it's really simple. They just confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, as Paul has said, and they will be saved. And once they're there, then you help them you know, take the next step. Once they get saved, you help them to get baptized and get plugged into the church. And then you help them get plugged into a discipleship program after that. You know, and they guess, guess what? We train them up to do exactly what we just did. Go out and make more disciples. And then last week, we talked about the fact that before we can really speak into someone's life, before we can actually like speak something important into somebody's life, we need to earn the right to do that. We need to earn the right to speak in someone's life. Because, because the best way you can, can do that 
The best way to earn that right is face-to-face with someone else. And the reason for, that's the reason why open evangelism it has its limitations. That's why passing out Bible tracts is ineffective sometimes. And believe me, these things are important and you should do these things. In fact, you should share the gospel every possible way that you can. Okay? I mean, you know, you should pass out Bible tracts if that's what God is calling you to do. You should stand on the street corner with your bullhorn and your sandwich board and street witness if that's what God is calling you to do because, because it's, it's an important way to share the gospel. It's the same with missionary work and other things. But ultimately what it comes down to is if we're going to effectively share the gospel with other people, then we need to do the things that are most effective. And what is most effective is relationship to relationship, person to person, earning the right to get in someone's life and being able to tell them, you need to change. You need to trust Jesus. You need to listen to what Jesus has to say. Okay? And the thing is, is we made really clear is that you're not going to allow somebody to speak into your life on something important unless they earn your respect. Unless they earn the right to tell you that you need to change. Unless you, they have earned the right for you to listen to them. And as we talked about, there are three things that you need to do to earn the right to speak in someone's life. Number one, you need to love them the way that Christ loves them. Number two, you need to serve them the way Christ would serve them. And number three, we need to meet them right where they are. You see, we're not trying to tell them, hey, you need to wash your face and brush your teeth and put on, on a suit and a tie and come to church and hear about this Jesus thing. No. We meet people right where they are. We go to where they are. We meet them in their lives. We meet them in their circumstances, even in their addictions. Now, not to say that we have to share the same common activities. We just meet them in the place where they are. In fact, I have to, to tell you, we have a couple of ministries going on right now here at First Baptist Church that are designed just for that. Robbie and Angie Jackson are part of two ministries that are designed to meet people exactly where they are. The first one is called, a Bible study is called uh, New Life Recovery. New Life Recovery happens here every Tuesday evening, and, and the invitation of New Life Recovery is simply this. Come, hang out with us, have some coffee, and we're just going to talk about the Bible. Okay, we're not going to beat you up. We're not going to pick on you. We're just here for you. And if you want help, you want someone to love on you and someone to talk to and someone that understands you and not look down on you and condemn you, then come here to our little Bible study. You know, that's what New Life Recovery is all about. It's about the Bible study, about people meeting other people right where they are. And then the second part of what Rob and Angie do, many of you have witnessed, is uh, they're part of what's called the Black Sheep for Christ Motorcycle Club. And because of that, and because of that special interest in motorcycles and that motorcycle lifestyle and culture, they're able to speak a language of a large group of people who don't know Christ. And they go to events, and they're able to love on people and serve them. And sometimes they even like shine shoes and do things like that in an effort to let people know that they care about them. And, and, and that they're loved and they're able to reach these people for the gospel of Christ. And that's just one unique way to do it. But the reality is, is if we can, we can all, every one of us, serve somebody. We can all love on somebody. We can all meet somebody right where they are for someone. And that's where it all came down to last Sunday. That's where we kind of got to. Okay? And we wrapped up last week with a call to action to take that step forward and get involved because we all know we're called to get involved in this. It's not a question, okay? 
We all know this is God's will for our life to spread the gospel. We all know this, that there are people around us that should be here, we should be sharing the gospel with. And there are people around us who are lost, people who need to hear Christ. And we have a plan to do this. We know what we need to do. We need to be praying for these people. And we need to be focusing on them. And we need to be preparing ourselves to engage them. And then we also know how to do this. We have a roadmap to do this. We have a list of scriptures that can take us step by step through this. We have a list of scriptures and we have the ability to create a dialogue with these people on our list. And, and we know, you know, what we need to do in order to earn the right to speak into their lives. We know that we need to love them and serve them and, and meet them where they are. And that's where we, where we are now after five weeks in this series is we have a comprehensive plan. We have a checklist. We have a checklist of what we need to do to get involved. We have everything we need to get involved in the Great Commission. Everything. You individually have everything you need to go out and get involved and make disciples. There's only one thing left. And that is just to go out and do it. That's all there is. Go out and do it. Which seems to be the hardest part. Now with that, today, what I want to do is I want to appeal to you. I want to appeal to you and ask you a really important question. I want to put, it, put all the stops out. And I want to just be absolutely just, just down to the bone honest and clear with you. And it's an important question. And this question is not meant to hurt anybody's feelings. It's not meant to make anybody feel guilty. This question is not meant to beat you up emotionally or spiritually. This question, you know, is certainly pointed. I'll, be, I'll admit that. But it's not meant to rough you up. But it's a question that I have to ask. It's a question that I have to ask. And the question that I need to ask you is this. Is in light of the fact that you know that this is right and that this is good and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is what God is calling you to do. Why are you hesitating to do this? Why are you hesitating to take the next step and go out and make disciples? I mean, now some of you have already jumped in here. Some of you are already getting to work on this. And, 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 and I'm, I applaud that and I'm grateful for that. And some of you are really seriously like thinking about this. Like it's been on your mind and your heart. You've been praying about it. And that, that's good, okay? Because a lot of people, that's where it begins with the thought process and praying. But for some of you, you're like, okay, can we change the subject now? <laughs> right? I mean, like this whole Jesus, I like the whole Jesus thing. I like coming to church, right? I like the fellowship. I like the singing thing. But can we get past this series and so I can stop thinking about this? Can I just kind of go on with the rest of my life now? I mean, I mean, I know there's some truth to what you're saying, but I don't want to do this. I really just don't want to have to do this. It makes me uncomfortable. There, I said it. It makes me really uncomfortable. That's just not who I am. I'm not the kind of person who, who talks to people about my faith. It's just not, you know, I just don't like the idea of pushing my stuff on other people. It's not what I'm about. You know, it doesn't matter what you say. Or maybe you're like, well, you know, Sherman, gosh, I'm just so busy. I'm too busy for this. I've got so much to do. I've got so much to do at work. I've got so much to do with my family. I have so much to do, you know, planning for my retirement. I have so much to do, you know, at school. I just don't have time for this. I don't even have time to think about this, much less actually do something with this. I'm just too busy. Or maybe you're just like, you know, Sherman, this whole Jesus thing and going to church, being involved, that's a, that's a me thing, okay? It's a me thing. It's what I believe. It's what I do, that's what I do with my life, in my faith. It's my business. And you know, 
I'm not about getting in other people's business. Okay? I'm not about telling other people that they need to change. I'm not about telling other people what they need to do. I'm not about telling people that they need to believe differently than they believe right now. In fact, you know, I'm not about telling them anything. In fact, who am I to tell them anything, right? Who am I to judge? Who am I to tell them that they need to change? I mean, I'm still a sinner just like them. So who am I to say anything to them about what they're doing? So I'm not about that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm just going to let them do them, and I'll just do me, right? Let them do them, you do you, and I'll just do me. We'll just all do what we do. We'll just be happy doing what we do, right? So, so change the, the subject, Sherman. <laughs> I mean, can't you start a new series, you know, like on marriage or kids or finance or maybe we can talk some more about David and Goliath. I really like talking about that guy, right? Maybe you can teach us some more about grace and truth. Let's, let's change the subject so I can get back to how I like to do church because I just, I just don't want to do this. You see, some of you are hesitating, and I understand completely the feeling and the thought process that causes that hesitation. I understand why you hesitate. I feel the same things. But before we change the channel here, and before we move on to something else, I mean, before I let this go, and, and before we wrap this up, and save this all on SoundCloud. In fact, you know, if you've missed any of these messages, you can go to SoundCloud and hear every one of them. Uh, the, the address is in your bulletin there. Um, but before we wrap all this up, let me share with you one last text, and then we'll close this thing up, and be the last I'll say about this for at least a little while. <laughs> Don't want to overpromise, you know. So, and the text is in the, in the book of Revelation, is chapter number twenty. And uh, in fact, what I want you to do is, I just want I want you to let me read it to you. Okay, uh, you can certainly follow along with your Bible in just a minute. But this first go around, let's just open your ears, open your hearts, and just let me read it to you, and just take it all and let it just settle in your heart. Okay, and then you know, in a moment, what we'll do is we'll go back through it, you know, and we'll talk about it. But just sit and listen this first time. Revelations chapter twenty, beginning in verse eleven, it says. Then I saw, and so this is John speaking, okay? He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the seas gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is a second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake a fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You know, the book of Revelation is perhaps the most misunderstood and misquoted and misused book of all the Bible. 
and it's, it's known as what's called apocalyptic literature, which means it is highly symbolic, and it can be very cryptic at times, and it can be very, very difficult to understand. In fact, if you show me someone who says that they fully understand the book of Revelation, then I will show you someone who is fooling themselves. Because this is a book that has been read and debated about for 2,000 years. And every generation since the time John wrote this book has believed that the prophecies contained in that book were about them and their life. And since that time, there have been lots of wild speculation about lots of the details about the book and what it means. But for all the debates and all the confusion and all for the mystery and the disagreement, there are some things that are abundantly clear in the book of Revelation. And in this text, there are some truths that are very easy to understand and that are very relevant for us today. So let's just go back over this real quick. And John says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. This text right here, is known as what's called the great white throne judgment. Okay, this is the final judgment at the end of all things before God completely restores everything for eternity, before there's the new heaven and the new earth. And John says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing there before the throne. Okay? And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. You see this right here? This is known as the great resurrection at the end of the age, where everyone who has died will be physically raised to life again. It's a physical resurrection. And at this resurrection, everybody who has ever lived will be judged by God. This right here is an absolute reality that you must get clear about and you must accept and take to heart. That there will come a day that every living person, great or small, will stand before God as he sits on his throne. And every person who will ever live will stand before God and he will judge them. What an awesome and terrifying thought. You will stand before God one day and he will pronounce judgment on you. Your mama will stand before God one day. Your best friend, your co-workers, your grandchildren, all one day will stand before God and be judged, every single one of them. And that's what John says in, in, in 12. He says, the dead will be judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now, this is the sober reality. Think about this. There is a record. There is a record of everything that you have ever done and ever thought in your entire life. Everything that you've ever done in public, everything you've ever done in private, everything you've ever you know, done and gotten away with, everything that you've ever thought, all of it's recorded. It is all recorded, and God knows it all. And the, judge, the dead will be judged by what they have done. Now let me ask you a question. If God judges you based on your life and what you have done in your life, now just be honest with yourself, okay? If God judges you based on what you've done in your life, is that good for you? I mean, think about this. Your life and the time and, 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 and what you did, okay? Like that, that time that you 
hurt that person, you know, in your life so bad that you don't even want to think about what you did because the guilt hurts you, right? Or how about that time when you, you know, when you've had those awful thoughts that you're wishing that particular person was dead and maybe even considered doing the job yourself? What about that? What about lust? What about, what about greed? What about the times that you were so selfish? You were so selfish. Just thinking about it makes you embarrassed. Think about your life. If God judges you solely on your life, how do you fare? I mean, how do you make out? I mean, knowing <laughs> you and knowing what you're capable of, it becomes really easy to see that Isaiah was, very, was completely right. You can't make yourself right before God with what you do. And because of that, God judges you based on what you do in your life. Let me just tell you, if that's what happens, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. But that's exactly what happens. John says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. All who have ever lived will be judged for their lives. I'm going to be judged. You will be judged. Everyone you've ever met, everyone you've ever loved, everyone you've ever despised, everyone that you have ever bumped into, everyone that you've ever been related to, all of them, every single one of them, without exception, will be judged. And based on our own lives and what we have done in our own lives, all of us will be found lacking. We are all lacking because we are all already condemned. Every one of us. We all deserve hell. We are all deserving to be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. We all deserve that. And guess what? If we're judged based on our own lives, that's exactly what we're going to get. Once his life is over, all there is is an eternity spent in torment and hell. That's what every human being deserves. It's what we deserve. It's what I deserve. It's what you deserve. That's what your grandma, as sweet as she may be, deserves. That's what your neighbor deserves. That's what your children, as much as you love them, deserve. Remember Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. For all have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God. Every person who's ever lived deserves to be cast in the lake of fire for eternity for what they've done in their life. No one is innocent. We're all condemned. We all deserve hell. And then John tells us, and if anyone's name was, fa was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Let me, let me say this again. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. After all your life and after all your ambitions and after all your high hopes and your dreams and your good intentions and all your work and your striving and your tears and all that you do, after your life is over, after standing before God, giving account of what you have done, there's only one thing that matters. Is your name written in the book of life? Is your mama's name written in the book of life? Is your husband's name, is your wife's name how about your favorite cousin, right? How about the kid that lives down the street that you really like so much? The only thing that's going to matter 
Is this one thing? Is your name written in the book of life? Because if it's not, then there will be without question and without exception thrown into the lake of fire. They will spend eternity in hell. And that's absolutely the reality that we must come to face. But on the other hand, if your name is written in the book of life, you will have a different end. They will spend eternity with God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If your name is written in the book of life, you will spend eternity in the glorious presence of God. You see, this is where we come down to life's ultimate dilemma. Where will you spend eternity? Because we will all be resurrected. Make no mistake about that. We will all be resurrected and we will all live forever somewhere. It will be either the lake of fire or standing in the glorious presence of God. It's hell or heaven. This is the reality that we all need to face. This is the reality that you cannot ignore. Everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you meet, everyone that crosses your mind, every one of them, all of them will stand before God and they will be judged. And they will either spend eternity somewhere. They were, they're all headed either for the lake of fire or they are headed for the presence of God forever. There is no middle ground. Your name is either in the book of life or it's not. It is that simple. So how do you get your name in the book of life? Well, that is simple too. Because we're told that in the gospel of John. John reminds us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. And here's the important one. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son, of the only Son of God. If you put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, your name is written in the book of life. It's as simple as that. But if you don't believe and you don't put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, then your name is not in the book of life. Okay? It's not any more complicated than that. It's that simple. You either believe and you're saved and your name is added to the book of life or you don't believe and you remain condemned and you end up in the lake of fire. And that is the fate of all of those you know. Their name is either written in the book of life or it's not. It's either they believe or they don't believe, which raises a hugely important question that Paul asks us in the book of Romans. He asks this, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are the people in your life and on your list going to hear a clear, understandable gospel message if you won't do what it takes to share it with them? I mean, how would they ever know about Jesus if you don't take the time to invest in them and share Christ with them? Now, you might say, well, hang on, Sherman. Somebody else will preach it to them. I mean, somebody else at some point in their life is going to share the gospel with them if I don't. But remember what I said before. The problem is we don't know how long we have. We don't know how long it's going to, before they step off into eternity. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow brings. You see... Thursday, death walked in the door for these 14 people as they were gunned down 
by one of their co-workers and his wife in the worst act of terrorism in the United States since 9-11. These 14 people, along with their co-workers, a number of which are wounded, were all hanging out at a, at a holiday luncheon. They had normal lives. Okay, they had families, they all had plans for the day, they all had plans for the weekend, they all had plans to do things in their lives. They woke up that morning, and they weren't thinking, you know what, today's the day I'm going to die. They weren't thinking, today's my last day, today's the day I step off into eternity and finally find out if there's a God or not. No, they all expected every one of them to go to work. They all expected to go do their job. They expected to do what they needed to do at work. They expected to get back in the car and drive home. They expected then to go back to bed that night and get up the next morning and do it all over again. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And they all expected that they had more time. But look at them. Their ages range from their 20s to their 60s. They have diverse backgrounds. They have different religions. They have different education levels. They are all very different people. They just happen to have one thing in common. They work together. And they had one other thing in common. The other thing they had in common is they, they believed the same myth. The myth that they had more time. But they didn't. Because Thursday, Thursday morning, they were murdered in cold blood and they breathed their last breaths and they took that long step off into eternity forever. And of all the things you're going to get said about this whole topic, the only thing that's going to matter now is this. Is their name written in the book of life? Did they trust Jesus or did they not? So let me ask you, do you know how many of these people were ready to meet Jesus? Do you know how many people, these people, believe the gospel? Robert Adams, 40 years old, Ukaipa, California. Was he ready? I don't know. Michael Wetzel, 37, Lake Arrowhead. Benetta, Bet Bedal, 46, out of Rialto. Nicholas Thelosinos, I think that he was ready because he was actually a Messianic Jew, which means he was a Jewish man, but he believed in Christ. 52, of Colton. Yvette Velasco, 27, from Fontana. Aurora Godoy, 26 years old, San Jacinto. Juan Espindola, 50, Highland. Daniel Kaufman, 42. That's younger than me. Shannon Johnson, Los Angeles. This guy actually um, is a hero because he, um, he, he, there was another person right next to him and they fell under the table together and he put his arm around her and he held her close and took every shot. And his last words were to her is, I've got you. But does he know Jesus? Damien Mines from Riverside, 58 years old. Sierra Claiborne, 27, Moreno Valley. Harry Bowman, 46, Upland. Tim Nguyen, 31, Santa Ana. Isaac Aminos, 60, from Fontana. How many of these people do you think were ready I mean, think about this. And this isn't just something that's a world away, okay? This isn't like something that happened in France, okay? This all happened to people that live within two hours of where we sit right here, okay? And all of these people live in cities that almost all of us have traveled to. We are all familiar with these towns and these cities. In fact, we might have even passed these people on the freeway at least once in our life. 
Okay? This is very close to home. And the thing is that you and I have to come to terms with is that we are all destined to die and we are all destined to stand before God. And we have no idea how much time any of us has left. We have left. And so I'm going to ask you again, how will the people in your life and the people on your list ever know Jesus if you don't take the time to invest in them and share Christ with them? Because you don't know how much time they have. You don't know if there's anyone, you know, will ever come along and, and earn the right to speak in their lives the way that you can and share Christ with them. You don't know these things. All you know is you have a list of 10 people who don't know Jesus and you know that God is calling you to get involved to share the gospel. You see, we have to face the truth. Your decision to either do this or not do this has life-altering, eternal consequences to it. You can't ignore this anymore. You cannot simply allow yourself to fall back on, I'm going to let them do them and I'm just going to do me. Your decision to make or not to make disciples has gigantic, life-changing, eternal consequences for the people in your life and the people on your list. You have to understand that. You have to embrace that. Your decision to do this or your decision, your decision to sell out for Christ, your decision to put you know, somebody else above yourself, your decision to get past your fear and, and become intentional about this, your decision to make a plan and follow through on that plan has eternal consequences that will last forever. Whether you do this or whether you don't do this, it still matters. Just take a moment and think about your own life. The people in your life. Think about the people on your list, those people that you care about. If they're standing on the street corner and they're about to step off the curb in front of a bus, you don't simply let it happen, right? We've talked about this. You will grab them, yell at them, tackle them. You'll do whatever it takes to get their attention to save their life. You do everything in your power to save them. It's not even a question for you. But you have to understand, if you save their life today, they're still going to die. Okay. You understand that. You grab them and you save their physical life today. All you have done is delayed what is inevitable because one day, it'll be tomorrow or it could be next week or, or six months from now or 50 years from now, one day they will all still die. And they will stand before God and all that they will do will be laid out. And the only question that's going to matter at that time is your name in the book of life. Did they actually trust Jesus as their Savior? And if they did, they will stand forever and live forever in the presence of God. But if they didn't, they will be cast in the lake of fire forever. You see, all of us are instinctively willing to do whatever it takes to save the life of someone temporarily. Because that's what it is. You save someone's life today, they're still going to die at some point. Okay? That's the reality. You're, you're, if you're so willing to, take, to do whatever it takes to save someone's life temporarily, but are you willing to do whatever it takes to save their life permanently? Because that's where we're at. Okay? You sharing the gospel with people on your list and attempting to, to help them is about saving their eternal life. Sharing the gospel is more than just life and death. Sharing the gospel is eternal life and eternal death. Now, take a deep breath now. 
okay? Because I know I'm putting some pressure on you. And I realize that, that all of I've said right here doesn't make the anxieties, you know, and the uncomfortable feelings go away, okay? The truth is, all right, we all know this is what God's calling us to do, okay? He's calling you to get involved. Now, what I'd like to do today as we wrap up this series today is what I want to do is I always want to try to make this as easy as possible for you to get started. I certainly want you to do more, okay? But I want to make it easy as I possibly can for you to get started. And so what I want to do to wrap up this series is I want to give you an opportunity to get involved in a way that is really simple and very easy. And hopefully it takes some pressure off you and it gives you an opportunity to get started and um, kind of get into the flow of, of your work in the Great Commission. And so what I want to do is, is this, okay? Two weeks from now, two weeks from today, we're having our annual Christmas program. In fact, we're going to have two programs, one at 10.30 and one at 6 o'clock at night. And yes, they're going to be special music, and we're going to talk about the birth of Christ. And in the first service after that, we're going to, we're going to have lunch for, in, in the fellowship hall. And after the 6 o'clock service, we're going to have refreshments, and then we're also going to give away toys for our Toys for Tots program. And, and Mr. Miller, he's going, to, he's going to be taking family pictures after each service to get a chance to get a, a family portrait done for really, really, you know, really reasonable. And, and everything about this service is going to be planned to be warm and inviting. Okay, And both of these programs programs will be focused on preaching the gospel. It'll be an evangelistic message. Okay? We're, we're going to talk about the birth of Christ. But we're going to do it you know, in a way that makes sense to unsaved, unchurched people. We're going to do everything we're going to do in our power to help people come to understand clearly and hear clearly the gospel of Christ. And then when they understand, we're going to actually call them to take action based on that. We're going to present the gospel of Jesus Christ for you, and then we're going to urge these people to take the very next step and get saved. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to have extended altar calls uh, after the message, and we're going to create an environment to help them to come forward and receive Christ, and we're going to have people ready to pray for them and pray with them. Okay? That's, what we're, that's what we're going to do. Okay? But we need for you to do something for us then. Okay, what we need you to do is, is, is simply this. We need you to help us to fill this place up. Fill every chair for both services. Help us to pack this sanctuary filled full of people who need to hear the gospel. Help us reach as many people in our community for this Christmas as, as we possibly can. And, and the way you do that, number one, is we just need you to pray with us. Just make a commitment today, you know, for, like every day for the next two weeks, will you just pray, you know, for the, for the services and pray for the worship team and, and pray for, for me as I present the gospel and, and pray that God would, would fill this place up with people who need to know Christ and pray that God would, then, would save them and redeem them. The second thing is you just need to invite everyone on your list, all ten people, to one of these services in two weeks. Invite every person you know who doesn't know Christ. Invite them to come. And you can tell them. Go ahead and tell them. Say, hey, we're having lunch afterwards. Or, you know, we're having refreshments. You can bribe them. I'm okay with that. All right? Yeah. Okay? Just, just get them here. And then the final thing, what we need you to do, is at the back table back there, okay, there are big manila envelopes that have street names on them, okay? And inside those manila envelopes, there are, there, there are postcard invitations um, that we're, that we're going to hand out for the people in this community. And what, we're, what we need you to do is grab the street that you live on, or maybe the adjacent street, or maybe you can just pick a different street if you want to, but grab one of those, and actually, in the, in the next week, would you go and actually put an 
invitation on every door on that, that particular street. There's a little map in there that shows where, where we're covering, okay? And this is really, really important because, because the last couple times we've done this, we really haven't had the participation we've needed because this is the most effective way for us to get the invitation out. We need everyone involved in this. And it's really, really easy for you to do your part. I mean, you can actually say, okay, get off my back, Pastor. I did my part for the Great Commission this week, all right? All right? I passed out the invitation, so leave me alone, okay? Let me do me, right? Okay. So, uh, but just go ahead and grab one of those envelopes. And, and like I said, you know, your street's probably on there. Um, and if, if not, then grab, you know, an adjacent street, maybe meet some new neighbors. But uh, it would be a huge help to us, and it's a huge way to get people to listen to the gospel of Christ. And so, that's your homework as we wrap this up this week, is pray for this Christmas service, invite everyone you know, and pass out the invitations on your street. And, and let's make this Christmas season one that will absolutely change our community. Because make no mistake, we know that we live in a dying world. We see it happening. We know that the new normal isn't normal anymore. We know that the times are changing. And there are people that need to hear the gospel of Christ. We can change this community from the inside out. God has plans for the community of Boron. This can be a beacon of hope for the rest of the world if we'll just go and make disciples. Let me pray for you. Father, we just we love you so much and we thank you for your grace and, and your mercy. And we, we are just so grateful, Lord, for all that you've given us. And, Lord, it's such a hard teaching. It's such a hard thing because it's just so easy to get comfortable. Even me, I can get busy reading my books. I can get busy doing my own thing. I can get busy, you know, taking my kid to, to practice. I can get busy with all the things that life presents to me. And I can have lots of excuses. And I can get real uncomfortable just like everybody else. But change all of our hearts, Lord. Break our hearts for the things that are breaking yours. Give us eyes to see the people the way that you see them. Help us to have a heart and a compassionate heart for those that are lost. Your word says that you're, you don't want anybody to perish. So help us to have that same desire and reach out and touch the lives of those around us and help to make our community a beacon of hope that it can be, that Jesus reigns right here in this congregation and in all of our families in our community at large. And I pray, Lord, that you be glorified in all that we do. And we just pray, Lord, that you'd fill this place up to overflowing for the Christmas season, Lord, and that we would see hearts and lives change and, and that we'd see souls saved. We just thank you for that. And we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.